Wow, it's so incredibly great to be here with you this evening. You may be seated. I'm so honored and delighted just to be here. And I, I trust that our time together will be really, really fruitful and a, a blessing to each of us as we've come. The atmosphere has already been set. I do pray that there is some expectation in your heart toward God because there's something about having an expectancy in your spirit that makes a demand on the Holy Ghost. Just blesses God in a wonderful, wonderful way and it allows us to have our hearts and minds to be prepared for something uh, supernatural, something divine that comes from God and from God alone. So these are fascinating times right now in which to be alive and I trust that our time gathered around his word tonight will be strength and life to each of us. And let me just say that in times like this, the world is so looking for the authentic. The world is so looking for that that is true, for that that is tested and tried, and that that is trustworthy. And may I remind you of this, that men and women of genius are admired. Men and women of wealth are envied. Men and women of power are feared, but men and women of character are trusted. And whenever we can be trusted by simply honoring our word and honoring God's word, it brings a credibility to our life and a witness of Jesus Christ to the world, to the society, to government leaders, to whoever in the world. And so this is a season for us to authentically be the church, not just have church, but to be the church. This to me, I meant when I, when I think of, of Revel 2020, it sounds like a revolution of representing Christ to the world. We represent Christ as we represent him. We are presenting him in a way that becomes relatable, that becomes understandable, that becomes a way of our saying that, God, I believe in you with all of my heart. And I just commend you for just being a part of this, this ministry because it is evident that the hand of God is on, on Pastor Michael. God's hand is on him. And let me just tell you this, the great blessing of that is that whenever you sit under a ministry where the hand of God is on the pastor, on the leader, then that blessing comes in your life in, in a fantastic and incredible way. So that blesses me just, just to know that you're under an anointed leader who has God's blessings and God's favor resting on his life. It's, it, it reminds me uh, that this, this is a highlighter. And sometimes people love to be able to move about in the world and to be able to make their mark in the world. But guess what? This has the tremendous ability that on whatever surface that it touches, it makes a mark that cannot be erased. Uh, it will highlight particular things, make its mark, and it's just, it's the stuff because the juice is in it. But you see this little cap, this is what I would call a covering. And no matter how anointed this is, the fluid on the inside, if this goes for too many days without being under cover, it will dry out and it won't be able to fulfill its purpose. The very purpose for which it is created which is to make a mark that is highlighted that people cannot erase. 
but its power comes by being under cover. There's a huge difference between a cover and a lid. If you're under a leader that's a lid, a lid limits out of their own insecurities because of your giftings. But a real leader, when God brings a father into your life, when God brings a spiritual mother into your life, they become not a lid, but a covering. A covering protects. A covering protects. A lid limits, but a covering protects. So when you've got an anointing of God in your life, so that every place that you go in the world, you're to make a mark for Jesus. You're to highlight some things to say, yes, this is the Lord's doing. God's hand is on this, and this is the Lord's doing. But it is because we remain undercover. So let me just encourage you that no matter what happens in our world, Jesus died for the church because Jesus loves the church. And let me just tell you, the church will never go out of style. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my church, and the very gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. It'll go through some adversity. It'll go through some challenge. It'll go through some lockdown. It'll go through some limitations. But the more you try to oppress it, the more that it begins to spread and multiply. And I don't know about you, but I just feel that the hand of God is so on this ministry that while some others are drying up, that God will expand you on the left hand and on the right in social media, and he will expand you by word of mouth through the word of the testimonies of what God is doing in the lives of various people. So that's exciting to me, to know that God is in the midst of doing something. I just want to talk to you tonight about four words, four words. Now, I'm going to, of course, use more than four words, but I, I want to emphasize or highlight four words. There are certain things that that you recognize that God will highlight in your life. And so I just want to highlight some things here. here here's one, and we haven't fully gotten it, it, into it yet, but uh, this, is, this is just the appetizer. Sometimes I've gone to restaurants and the appetizer is better than the main course. Uh, and so hopefully you'll just be blessed, you know, just by an appetizer. But uh, four words, four words, here's one of them. One of them is radical faith. We're living in a time right now where it's not just going to be just regular prayers. It's passionate, hot, fervent prayer. It's desperate prayer. God really only answers one kind of prayer, and it's a desperate prayer. A desperate prayer is a radical prayer. Radical, radical. It's a radical prayer. When, when you say radical, it doesn't just mean wild and crazy. In fact, the word radical comes from a word radicalis. It, it actually means rooted. It means grounded. When you have radical faith, your faith is radical because you're grounded in the Word of God. And because you're so grounded, it produces a power and an intensity of the faith of the living God on the inside of you. So this is a time, whenever you come through challenging times, through adversity, through sickness, through setbacks, you need radical faith, radical faith. Radical faith causes you to pray radical prayers. You will never hear people praying a radical prayer if they didn't have radical faith. I mean, when, you know, when they, they were warring and, and Joshua was just saying, you know, God, we're, we're, we're about to lose him. If you don't do something, cause the sun to stand still. Nobody had ever heard of anybody praying that God would literally cause the sun to stand still and stop time and do something that they had no scripture for. But it was based on a God who can do the impossible. 
And that was birthed out of a radical faith. Out of radical faith, you pray radical prayers. Don't think that God will just give you radical faith just for you to have faith and become a spiritual egghead. No, no, no. The faith is so that you can do. Really, when you understand faith, faith is not a noun. Faith is really a verb. Faith is an action word because faith will always produce works. And you'll be able to identify and understand the faith by the fruit of the works that come out of it. So when you have radical faith, radical faith will cause you to play, pray radical prayers. But you don't just get the uh, answers from prayers just because it's a radical prayer. But after you pray, have radical faith, and the radical faith produces radical prayer on the inside of you, then it requires radical obedience. Radical obedience. Radical obedience. That whatever God tells you, you've got to obey in it and said, God, I will do it. There's something, I mean, if he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll come again seeing, it requires radical obedience in order to get the blessing from it. So there has to be radical faith that produces radical prayers, causes us to pray radical prayers that then will demand radical obedience. God will call you to do something. He'll call you to sow something that becomes radical for your life. Not for really where you're sowing it, but for a need that is in your future that is bigger than something than you can afford right now. And one of the ways that you know that God has designed something to be seed for you is because it's not all of the money that you need in order to be able to pay for it. That means that's seed for your miracle. That's seed for your blessing. Radical faith will cause you to pray, pray radical prayers. Radical prayers demand radical obedience. And when you walk in radical obedience to the degree that you will trust God and you will obey God, you will follow after God's heart, it leads then to radical blessing. Radical blessings. I mean, blessings that are beyond usual. These are not just the kind of little, you know, just little half-hearted clapping kind of blessings. These are the kinds of blessings that make people stand back and say, only God. It is the kind that God signs his own signature that, but God. You don't have to wonder who did this. You'll realize that when God delivers a person off of drugs or when he takes a mind that has been demented and brings it back into proper alignment and reorganizes and, and realigns all of the chemical levels in the body, that this is a, a, a radical blessing that has come from God. There are certain things that God wants to do as a part of radical blessings, and I, I get amazed at people that want radical blessings, but they don't have radical faith. And, or they've got radical faith, and then they don't pray radical prayers. Or they pray radical prayers, but they don't have radical obedience. And it is when you have radical faith that causes you to pray radical prayers that leads you into radical obedience to say, God, whatever it is, whatever it is that if I perish, I perish but I'm going before the king. That was radical obedience. I'm going to lay my life down because uh, at the time that Esther went in, and this is a day for Esther's. My God, I'm so grateful for the Esther's that God is raising up in our world today because when they will go up before the king and go into the king, if, you, if the king did not summon you and you were bold enough to go in to see the king, if the king did not ex uh, extend the royal scepter to you, you, you would die. You were put to death. She knew that she was risking her life because she had not been summoned. And, but this is why when you got radical obedience, she wasn't doing this for herself. She was doing this for her people. And that's why she got them. She said, fast with me. Fast with me. Pray for me. 
that demanded that out of that radical faith came radical prayer. The radical prayer caused radical obedience, and her radical obedience caused a radical blessing for all of her people to be set free. It's amazing what God will do when you just obey Him. So I just, just, I've got four words for you, just four, four words for you tonight, four words. For, that was just the appetizer. But just four words, just, just four words, four words. But just remember the appetizer, radical faith, radical prayers, radical obedience, and radical blessings. Radical, radical, rooted, grounded. When a person has a radical surgery, they have a, a radical mastectomy, they, they, they take off the entire breast. They go to the root of it, they take it out from the root. Whenever you, you have something that is radical, it's because it goes down to the root. So when, whenever you find that a person has radical faith, praying radical prayers, walking in radical obedience, and experiencing radical blessing, it's because they've been rooted and grounded. I'm not talking about wildfire. I'm talking about things that are rooted and grounded and established by the power of His Word. I'm so grateful to God for Psalm 107 and verse 20. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Without even having to lay a hand on anybody, God is able to speak a word and bring deliverance to you. It's by his, the power of his word. There's so much that God does by the power of his word. In thinking about some of the things that God does, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded how he's able to shift your life. Your life does not change just because of the passage of time. Your life changes because of certain people that you meet. Every time that you meet somebody that God sends into your world, the season of your life changes. When Jesus met each one of his disciples, their season changed. Whether it was Nathaniel, whether it was Peter, James, John, Thomas. When he met them and called them, immediately the season of their life changed. The moment that a person meets Jesus, your season changes. There's a revolution that happens. And let me just tell you this. This change in season happens because you meet a person, you meet a person, you meet a person, you meet a person, your season changes. The moment that a man marries a woman, he, he enters into another season. His season changes. It wasn't the passage of time, it was because of who entered. Because a woman entered, because a man entered. That now the season, so you move from bachelorhood into marriage because a season changed, just one person entered. And you're just a couple until you have a child. The moment that a child enters the world, bam, your season changes. Now you're a family. Now you've got a little crumb snatcher to feed. Your season has changed. Your season, I know I've got five children and eight grandchildren. And every time I, I, I had another child, my season changed. Your season changed. When you become a grandparent, your season changes, not because of the passage of time, but because of who your life. If you ever want your season to change, God will bring a person into your life that will shift you into another season. Uh, I had to come here to Albany to meet you. You're my brothers and sisters. Maybe I came to shift somebody's season. Maybe, maybe when you hear something just by a word, something shifts. And if it doesn't happen by a person, it also happens, here's a second word, it happens by, the first word is by relationships, the second word, it can happen by revelation. You know why? Because revelation produces a revolution. 
If you ever get a real revelation from God, it's impossible to stay the same. It is evidence that you have seen a revelation, experienced a revelation, because it changes how you think. It changes how you process information. It changes how you see people. It changes how you see and understand your purpose. It, it changes the, the, the borders of your world. It expands you. Revelation produces a revolution. God will bring a person into your life that will shift your season. God brings revelation into your life, shifts your season. Also, your seasons are shifted by opportunities. God will bring just an opportunity. Sometimes just being in this building was another opportunity. And the moment that you came into this building, into this facility, uh, your season changed. Just, just because of an opportunity that was seized. When God gets ready to expand your life, He will not expand it without presenting an opportunity. And that opportunity now opens a door now for your life to shift into another season. And it doesn't matter whether you're in your tender teens, your teachable 20s, your tireless 30s, your forceful 40s, your fearful 50s, your seasoned 60s, your settled 70s, your aching 80s, your nebulous 90s, or your pernicious 100s. Wherever you are, in whichever age of life, God will send a person to shift the season of your life. I mean, he shifts your season. God can send somebody to begin to share a word with you that shifts how you think. It just begins to shift you. It doesn't matter where you are. God has a way of shifting you in a powerful, powerful way. It doesn't matter. I mean, I've, I've seen people, they smoke till they choke, they drink till they stink, they root and they toot, they cut and they shoot. No wonder they're not sound up from the ground up and they need a checkup from the neck up and some of them are blown up before they're grown up. But when God can bring a person into your life and the power of his word brings a a revelation and the revelation produces a revolution something happens your life can shift another season by a relationship that God brings into your life sometimes by who he brings and sometimes by who he sends away from your life sometimes when a rotten toxic relationship is cut out of your life your life enters into another season sometimes when there are people that that are uh, leeches that will come and suck the life out of you, that will drain your energy. And when your life has been delivered of toxic people that have been draining you, your life shifts into another season. So sometimes it's based on the people who come and sometimes it's based on the people who go. And isn't it amazing that sometimes the people that walk out of your life or move to another part of the world, sometimes they're not always the people that you really want to go. I've met people that said, you know, Pastor, the Lord is leading me. I've got another job in another part of the country, and I'm leaving. And I'm, I, I, I wanted to say, Lord, why are you sending them? I've got someone else I'd love to send in their place. <laughs> and we all know people like that, that if they had to move, we, we would recommend that God move this one, but not this one. But the seasons of your life change based on revelation. The season of your life change based on relationships. The seasons of your life change based on opportunities. And number four, here's the fourth word. The seasons of your life change by your decisions. Your decisions determine your conduct, your character, and your destiny. Your decisions. Your decisions. Your decisions decide your future. Your decisions. The decisions of the type of people that you decide to have around you. Your decisions of what you look at, your decisions of what you listen to, your decisions of what you read, your decisions determine your destiny, your character, 
and your conduct, your decisions. When God gets ready to shift your life, you begin to make decisions on a whole nother level, on a whole nother level. So as God shifts you into another season, he'll bring revelation. As he shifts you into another season, he brings new relationships, so he moves old toxic relationships. When God gets ready to shift you into another season, he presents unique opportunities to you and gives you a witness in your spirit to say, this is for you, seize it. And then your seasons change by decision. When you make good, godly decisions, prayed over by the power of the Holy Spirit that God would lead you because your decisions determine your conduct, your character, and your destiny. Those four words, relationships, decisions, these four words that come into your life about where you are determine so much of your future. Guard them very carefully. Guard them very carefully. But those are not the four words that I came to talk to you about. <laughs> Let me share with you the four words. Let me go to my notes so that I stick to what I'm saying. Here's, here's the first one. It's a word that comes from Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to, to him, speaking of Moses in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it didn't burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn up. The first word that I want to share with you for your remembrance is the word attention. 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 God set a bush on fire and didn't let it burn up, didn't let it be consumed simply to get Moses' attention. Had the bush not been on fire, Moses never would have said, let me turn aside and see this sight. And out of the out of the attention getter came the voice what is God using or setting on fire in your life to get your attention and let me say this to you very clearly you've got more time than you have attention let me say that again you've got more time than you have attention one of the most precious things that people can ever give you is their attention. And don't assume that because a person is giving you time that you have their attention. Because they can be giving you time in their, on their cell phone. So they, they, they're giving you time, but they're not giving you attention. Time is about quantity. Attention is about quality. Attention is focused time. Focused activity in that where you are focusing so you can grow. God had to get Moses' attention. Attention. What is God causing to fail in your life just to get your attention? What is he setting on fire in your life just to get your attention? Just attention. 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 Our world is so busy. We've got so much distraction. And let me remind you of this, that distraction is the destruction of your dream in slow motion. Whenever you get distracted, whatever the devil cannot stop, 
he will derail through distraction. So that's why if God says, I need your attention, listen up. Before he speaks, he will say, hearken, that's listen up, pay attention, hearken. He'd always sound something just to alert people to know that I'm getting ready to speak. He would get their attention, otherwise you become white noise in the background and people are not paying you any attention. So God set a bush on fire just to get Moses' attention to be able to connect him to purpose. If he didn't have his attention, he wouldn't have been able to hear his word. He would not have been able to hear the voice that shifted the season of his life because Moses had gone for 40 years and didn't hear a word from God. And once you've been lulled into this state of lethargy, how do you now come alive? by giving attention, attend unto my word, give attention to my word. He's saying, pay attention, pay attention. And too much of our church world has been so distracted. It is as though we've got so many programs and God is saying, Martha, Martha, you are too concerned with too many things. You're too busy that you don't even pay attention to the fact that the Lord of glory is in your midst. He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And so he set a bush on fire just to get Moses' attention. Word number one is the word attention. Word number two is this, potential, potential, potential. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2, God asked Moses, what is that that is in thine hand that spoke of potential? It spoke of his potential. And so this was God's way of highlighting something that he already had, but that he was overlooking or taking for granted. Can you imagine that whatever you have right now is the seed for your next miracle? And that maybe you've got the thing at hand or one understanding of at hand means within reach. It's within reach but you've had it for so long that you don't even realize that that's your deliverance, that that is the tool that God will use to take you to where you need to be. So he's saying, stop ignoring what I've already blessed you with. I put something, what's that in your hand? He drew attention to his potential. After God got his attention, he drew his attention to his potential. What's in your hand. What has God already given you? What ideas has God already sown into your heart? What dreams has he already sown into your heart? What things has he done for the collective body so that you say that this is what I'm supposed to contribute to the community of faith. This is what I'm supposed to do for my house of God. This is what I'm supposed to do for the kingdom. Because when you get a dream by God, it's never just a little personal benefit. It is something that will involve others and that will bless the world. If it's selfish, it didn't come from God. And if you're the only one involved in it, it didn't come from God. A God dream will always involve others, always. And it will always be bigger than you can do alone, and it will cost more than the money that you have available to you at your disposal at the moment. But God says, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? That spoke of the second word, potential. Attention, potential. Attention, potential. 
he got his attention to talk to him about his potential. And whenever God shows you your potential of what you are able to do, please don't think that he's going to allow you to rest and become dormant and just sit there and waste time. Once you have that potential in your hand, you, you begin to realize something that you never have to pursue that which you have the power to attract. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing that if God ever shows you what you've got in your hand, it begins to revolutionize your life because you didn't realize that God had already given you so much. You realize that every little girl when she's born, she has all of the eggs in her ovaries that she'll ever have. Her body doesn't manufacture egg like a man manufactures sperm. A little girl is born with all of the eggs that she'll ever have. It's simply that she has to wait until she's around 10, 11, 12 years old. Some of them now is eight because of hormones. They start ovulating once the woman's body starts maturing, but she's got all of the eggs that she'll ever have at birth. And at the appropriate time, at the appointed time, the eggs start releasing, and that's why you can be carrying something that you didn't even know that you had until it starts maturing on you. That's how you know that you're ready, because it starts burning in you. It starts turning loose in you. It starts waking you up. Listen. A dream is not something that you have while you're asleep. A dream is a thing that God brings into your life that keeps sleep from you. When you really have a God dream, it's hard to get to sleep because the dream wakes you up at 2.38 in the morning and says, hey, 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 let's, let, let's, let's have a meeting about this. And I'm like, God, can't you wait until maybe 8.39? But he will wake you up, I'm just telling you, at 1.37, yeah, at 3.35 in the morning. God has a way of just waking you up and saying, hey, hey, no, 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 we're going to have a board meeting right now. Get your pen out. You can lay there in the bed all you want. You'll count the ceiling tiles. Get up because we're going to have a meeting. He's talking to you about your potential. He's gotten your attention to talk to you about your potential. Here's the third word. The third word is intention. Intention. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, then he told Moses, go to Pharaoh, and said, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he can worship me, but you refuse to let him go so that I will kill now your firstborn. That way, when Moses went back to Egypt, he didn't just go to have a social cup of coffee. He went with intentionality, with laser focus, to say, let my people go so that they can worship God. Three days journey into the wilderness. Let them go. Let them go. And it was non-negotiable. It says they've got to go with all of their stuff. Let them go. He went with one intention. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over time. But he was very intentional. And he didn't let anything throw him off of it because God had gotten his attention and God had revealed to him his potential. He carried a rod. This was the rod of God was the rod of God, and God gave him an intentionality. What is it that you're supposed to be intentional about? You either live your life by design or you live it by default. You either live by de design or you live by default. What is your intention? What is your intention? What is your intention? What is your intention? God will get your attention. What is he setting on fire in your life? to get your attention, just so that you can turn aside, 
Sometimes people have to get sick. Sometimes people die. And God will use that as the thing to get your attention. Sometimes it's a tragedy. Sometimes it's something chaotic that happens with your finances or with your own health. And God is getting your attention. And then now we are slowed down long enough for God to speak to us because now he has our attention. And then he speaks to us about our potential. And then he gives us a divine mandate and intentionality of what we're supposed to do in the earth for the sake of his kingdom and it wasn't for a personal agenda it was for a kingdom agenda because when whatever you get that is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith and he gives you something that will require radical faith and so remember the words attention potential intention and here's the fourth word retention retention after God had done all of the wonderful miracles and brought all of the children of Israel out of Egypt God instructed Moses to build this tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies this Ark of the Covenant and he told him to put certain things there the stone tablets the pot of manna the golden pot of manna Aaron's rod that budded and that produced almonds says, I want you to put these things so that you retain what God has done in your life. Don't ever forget the testimonies of the, life, of, of, of the Lord that he's done on your behalf. Don't ever forget his word. Don't ever forget the leadership supernaturally that God brought into your life. He said, take these things with you every place that you go, whatever you retain. What good does it do to go through school and never retain anything? What good does it do to be in the presence of God and you never retain anything after you walk out of the presence of the glory of God? We are carriers of His glory. And so we are supposed to retain something. We're supposed to retain something. It's wonderful to be able to do great things in the business world, but, but listen, only what we do for Christ ultimately is going to last. You can be an example of Him in every place in the marketplace. I know my dad, I grew up in the business world. My dad was a businessman and became a multimillionaire, but I started teaching the Bible in my dad's home when I was 14 years old. And uh, as many as 75 people would come in our living room and I just taught, just as a believer, as a son of a businessman, sharing his faith, and my dad was my best student. And he memorized scripture every week that I assigned the class. And every person would have to go around the room and recite it. And my dad, my dad was 50 years old when I was born, and he took great pride in memorizing his scripture every week and that he was running a multi-million dollar business. But my dad had took the time every single week to memorize his scripture because he realized some things that were valuable. And my dad was one of the greatest evangelists for our church. I don't, I don't mean the church that I pastored. I wasn't pastoring at the time, but I, I, my dad was a deacon faithfully serving in the house of God, helping my pastor that I grew up under. And my dad took more people into that church. I am convinced that the blessings of God that are in my life today are because of seeds of faithfulness that my businessman daddy who loved God and honored God and had our pastor to come and bless every business that he ever opened. And it taught me very early in my life, I fell in love with him. I fell in love with his word as a as a young teenager because I wanted to be able to retain it. So I fell in love with it and so 
I began to just devour my Bible. 12 years old, I'm devouring my Bible. 13, I'm devouring it. 14, 15, I can't tell you how many times I've just gone through it and devoured it so that I could retain it. You have to go over and over and over and over so that you get something that you can retain that comes out of the Word of God. It is not just, but it's, it's what you get because it's, it's gotten in you. It's gotten in you and it's become a part of you. It's what's your, whatever is abundantly in your heart, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. And that's why I, I just wanted to know him. And, and I, I realized that, that how the scripture talked about, uh, he said that he has exalted his word even above his name because his word reveals his name to us. We wouldn't know the names of God if we didn't have his word. His word reveals his name. And he says that he's exalted his word even above his name. And so I, I fell in love with his word. I realized that Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And after all that God does, after he gets your attention, after he shows you your potential, after he gives you a divine intention, there's something that you're supposed to retain to be able to be the fruit that comes from the harvest. You retain the seed because the seed it's the, it's, it's the fodder for your next harvest. There's something that's supposed to be retained. The tithe is retained for your next harvest. It is seed for your next harvest. It's something for the next harvest. And so I fell in love with it. I mean, whether it was from way back from Genesis. Over in Luke chapter 24, the Bible says that Jesus began to explain to them himself in the scriptures beginning at Moses. As you know, Moses wrote Genesis. And, and, and so I just, I said, my God, if he, if, he was, if he was revealing himself to us, then he's showing us something that we ought to fall in love with in his word. If you make time and get it abundantly in your heart, out of the abundance, the abundance, the superfluity of God's word in your heart, you'll start speaking more about it. You'll start laying it in the foundation of the lives of your children. All of my children are saved and committed to Jesus. Not because I made it, because they saw it lived out in their home. And we talked about it, and, and it was so real to us. But it was because of the abundance of it, just in our hearts. Not in a weird way. We have more fun. We play more games. We vacation in some of the most fantastic spots. But we love Jesus. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And, and so he's, he's given us all things to enjoy. He's given us godliness to do it in a godly way. And so I just, I would, I would take the scriptures and, and walk through them and I, I, I'd show them to my children. Hey, the, hey, listen, in, in Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. You know, when he begins to just open up that word, he begins to speak to us. More and more. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's a trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's a faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our day spring on high and our ever-living redeemer, for I know that my redeemer liveth. In Psalms, he's the Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentation, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man in the wheel in the middle of a wheel. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the burning fiery furnace.
In Hosea, he's the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Hosea, you know, here, he's the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying, Revive thy works in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's the savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's a fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Who is this king of glory? You lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he's our justifier. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's our justifier. In Galatians, he's the redeemer of the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's a Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's our God who shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he's our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's a faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's a great physician. In 1 and 2 Peter, he's our soon-coming shepherd who shall appear with the crown of unfading glory. In 1, 2, and 3 John, love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, I've walked with him long enough to know that he's Abel's sacrifice. He's Noah's rainbow. He's Abraham's ram in the thickets. He's Isaac's whale. He's Jacob's ladder. He's Judah's scepter. He's Moses' rod. He's Elijah's mantle. He's Elisha's staff. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samuel's horn of oil. He's David's slingshot. He's Isaiah's figs. He's Hezekiah's sundial. He is Peter's shadow. He's Paul's handkerchief and apron. He's Stephen's signs and wonders. He's John's pearly white city. He is the king of glory. And I remind you of this. I never will forget my, my little granddaughter. One of my granddaughters was in between one of our services and there she was coloring a little picture with just one little piece of crayon that she had. And all of a sudden she was coloring too hard and she bore down and her crayon broke. And she began to cry. And I got up to come to try to comfort her hard and they call me G-Daddy. And I asked her, I said, baby, what's wrong? She said, G-Daddy, my crayon broke. And he tries to come now and bring spiritual revelation to a four-year-old. And I said to her, sweetheart, you see your cousin over there? She didn't have any crayon to even color with. I said, now you've got something to share. I said, you have nothing to share until you're first broken. And uh, I thought that that revelation would dry up her tears at four years old, but it didn't. I guess in her mind she was like, I still don't have 
a whole crayon and, and it's broken now. I'm ruined. And I just stopped. I looked up toward heaven in just a moment and I said, Lord, show me how to make it plain to her on her level. And all of a sudden, instinctively, I just took that broken piece of crayon and start coloring. And I said these words, broken crayons steal color. Broken crayons steal color. Broken crayons steal color. And I revealed to her the principle that even though it's broken, it's got just as much efficacy. There's just as much color, richness of color in the broken piece as when it was whole. And when God has given you a dream in living color, even though sometimes your crayon gets broken, you can still finish the picture, even with a broken crayon, because broken crayons still color. And there are some of you today that are listening. Your lives have been broken, and the devil has discounted you and made you feel as though you're not even worthy to be used anymore because you've messed up. Well, welcome to the club. God knew who you were in every mistake and the fallibility of your flesh when he called you. And he's not going to allow that to disqualify you, to stop you from your destiny because God is greater than your mistake. The blood is more powerful. It has made a future for you that you can't even imagine. And I just came to remind you here tonight that broken crayons still color. Broken crayons still color. Finish the picture. Finish the vision. Draw it out. Color elaborately. Dream elaborately. And color it in. Even with a broken piece of crayon. And you can create something to the glory of God that will cause His name to be magnified. It's your time to give God your attention and to have a discovery of new potential that's already of something that's already within reach and allow Him to connect you to divine intentionality. And then you'll discover that there's something out of the blessing of all of that that God wants you to retain. You'll be blessed in the overflow.